If you've ever been in search of a job, and chances are you have, you know how time-consuming it can actually be. I've spent about the last two months looking for a job, and throughout those two months, I've spent hours and hours perusing job boards, reading material on company websites, and preparing for interviews. But before I'd actually hit apply and make that decision to customize my resume or create a new cover letter, there were a lot of factors to take into consideration. The first one that typically comes to mind is salary. Am I going to be making enough doing this job? Will I feel fairly paid? Another thing is the job itself. Is it something I'm qualified for? Is it something that I'd find interesting? Other things are location. Um, is this job going to be in a place where I can actually move to or is it already nearby? Another set of factors relate to the actual organization itself. And this is what we'll be talking about today. What are the actual characteristics of a company that make them an attractive place to work? Is it a ping pong table in the lounge? Is it the kind of colleagues you're working with? Or is it something more fundamental, like the purpose of the organization and the values that they seem to espouse? I'm Nicholas Brumner. I'm Jose Espinoza. And you're listening to Mind Your Work. A podcast about social science and work and what happens when you put these things together. So today, we're going to cover a really intuitive topic. What is it about an organization that makes you want to work there? But first, one thing that we want to kind of get off the table is the question of pay. We all know pay is important. We need enough to live, to enjoy ourselves, and we want pay to ultimately be fair. So for this episode, we're going to take pay off the table. Instead, we're going to focus on all the other things an organization can do to get your attention and to make you want to come work for them. And the reason we're taking pay off the table today is because a lot of managers actually have a difficult time looking beyond compensation when it comes to attracting and engaging employees. So we're going to talk about some of the more fundamental things that organizations can do to really tap into employees or potential employees' needs and values and really what speaks to them when it comes to doing work that is truly meaningful. The academic literature has put forth many different models of how people are attracted to organizations. I find that one intuitive way of looking at it is if you just take your own experience as a job applicant, how you try and put your best foot forward during interviews, when you're corresponding with the employer. If you flip that concept on its head so that the actual organization is auditioning or putting its best foot forward to attract you, the candidate, this is a kind of a framework we can think of when we're describing organizational attraction. And my favorite thing about that way of looking at things is that it allows you to put yourself in the position of the organization. And things like an organizational image can be construed to, well, did you dress up the right way for the interview? Did you look into the applicant enough to know what it is that they want so you answer the right way when they ask you a question? Even though this is a good way of thinking about it, there is one fundamental difference that we're going to start with here. And that really has to do with the fact that the organization starts auditioning to the employee long before the job search has even begun. So if you think about brands you're familiar with, brands that you've been exposed to you know, since you were a kid, like McDonald's or you know, Facebook in the last 10, 12 years or something, future job applicants are aware of those brands and there's something called the exposure attitude hypothesis, which suggests that 
as you're more exposed to a brand, you become familiar with a brand or an organization, you actually develop kind of like a subconscious liking or a subconscious attraction to that brand. So organizations with very strong brands who are out in the marketplace and they're dealing with consumers actually kind of have a leg up on the competition in the sense that if an organization already has a pretty good reputation with the public, they're a step ahead of competing organizations in the sense that new job applicants have kind of already warmed up to them. And my favorite thing about the exposure attitude hypothesis is that it ties really well with lots of other experiences we have in our everyday lives. For example, have you ever heard a song on the radio that maybe you're not so into at the beginning, but because they play it so often, there's a time period where you end up starting to enjoy it a little bit and bobbing your head. And it's basically because you've become so familiar with it. And consequently, you start developing a positive attitude. The implication of this is that when someone actually decides to start their job search, there are different ways of, of going about it, right? Some people will just hop on a job board and do a keyword search for jobs that they might be interested in, something that fits their area of expertise. But other people, myself included, actually identify with certain organizations and type the names of those organizations into the search bar to see if there are any jobs at that specific company. So that initial subconscious attraction we talked about has now led into this new phase, this initial attraction phase, where the organizations that you're thinking about that have been kind of around for a while and have kind of taken up some sort of real estate on your mind, get the chance to provide some information to you. And you might get this other information as to whether you'd be interested in working there or not in lots of ways. This is where more specifically an organization's very tailored image that they might present through many outlets has a real chance of making a difference as to whether you'll want to work there or not. So as Jose said, this is really where the song and dance actually begins, where the organization actually has the opportunity to put its best foot forward and make an attempt at attracting talent. They do this through materials on their websites. They do it through newer ways, like we'll talk about in a little bit, like social media. They'll do it through recruiting fairs and so on. And this is really information the organization is trying to communicate to the employee to say something about what it would actually be like to work for the company. So if you take something like a recruiting video, if you have diverse people in that video uh, talking to you about what it would be like to work with the organization, that signals to the person watching the video that diversity is accepted there. One other thing I can say about this phase is that as a job seeker, there's a process that we all go through and there's a theory called image theory that helps describe how this actually works. Before you actually go and apply, we do a really quick lazy scan of the organization's details, their benefits, what, the, what, what it would be like to work there. Just try and make an assumption about that. And rather than actually exerting a lot of effort at the front end to really make a careful decision about where to apply, we kind of screen for organizations that have bad characteristics that would violate our assumptions about you know, where we want to work. This is kind of the initial job search phase, and it's how we pare our decisions down when we're applying for organizations. We look for what doesn't fit first, get rid of that, and then we can focus on the remaining organizations when we're really making a, a closer decision. So we rely on these mental shortcuts to find any red flags that might draw us away from applying somewhere. And ultimately, you have this smaller list of a few organizations that maybe you are really interested in. So in the previous stage, you would have gotten exposed to general information. The general public has a great chance of getting access to this same information if they went out of their way to look at it. It might be available on a website. It might be through commercials. It might be through all of this kind of brand tailoring the organization might do. 
At the next stage, at the specific attraction state, you're going to have a pipeline directly with someone at the organization, most likely through a recruiter who's going to be trying to tailor the information you receive specifically to you. It goes from attracting a general applicant, some sort of hypothetical applicant, to specifically trying to get you to come work for them. At this stage, the organization has had a chance to learn something about you, the applicant. And with that information, they can provide you customized information that's likely to resonate with you. They know a little bit more about uh, what your values are. You've had a chance to audition with them. So now the organization has more information to explain to you what it is about the organization that would specifically attract you. So some examples of that I could even bring in from my own experience applying for jobs recently. And oftentimes when the interviewers were finished asking their questions and I started asking questions, they would add in little bits and pieces that might be of interest to me about the work environment. Like, hey, we get access to all these learning materials or professional development opportunities, or we meet once a month to talk about uh, academic papers to make sure that we stay sharp. And these were interviewers who were, who were talking to me about the potential uh, of what it would be like to work for the organization, who really got a chance to know me, understand me as a candidate, and then tell me specific details about what the work was like that they think would resonate with me in an effort to try and bring me in to work with them. And ideally, one organization comes out on top and you take a job somewhere. And this leads us to the last two stages of this organization attraction process. Once you're in the workplace, you get the chance to verify that indeed what they pitched to you during the interviews and everything else that they've done to this point is the truth and is representative of what it's like to actually be there. And ultimately, you then get later as your tenure increases there, you get the chance to evaluate again whether your attraction there was justified. But before we move on, I think it's important we actually take a quick step back to explain how the candidate actually comes to a decision about where they want to work. So there's two different things at play here. First, the candidate is actually processing you know, the signals or information that the organization is putting out to them. And they use that information to determine or try and estimate what it would be like to work there in terms of your colleagues, your work environment, uh, the job itself. This is explained through signaling theory. The other aspect is the candidate actually puts themselves you know, a month ahead in the future and, and th thinks about what it would be like to work for that organization from an identity perspective. When you become an employee of an organization, you take on that as part of your identity and you have to make that decision if you would actually be proud to work for that company or if you would be embarrassed to work for a company or at an even deeper level, does that company's values match your own personal values? If there's a match there, then there's a good chance that you're more likely to choose one organization over another. So if indeed you made the choice to work at one organization over the other, you get the chance now to evaluate whether all of these things that you learned about during the attraction process are true or not. They can no longer so easily curate the information that you're exposed to. So you'll quickly learn whether you want to stay somewhere, whether you're going to be proud of identifying yourself as a member of this organization, whether it's going to be a valuable part of your social identity. And if that's not the case, individuals will exit the organization by choice or sometimes because they don't fit well enough to perform to the standards that are expected. I think it's important that we actually add a caveat to that really quickly. And I know at the beginning of the episode, we said we'd be taking salary off the table. 
But I don't think it hurts to remind everyone that someone's not going to exit an organization, even if they're really dissatisfied with you know what the company turned out to really be, if they have a lack of alternative places to go, a lack of alternative job opportunities, or if leaving that organization is going to be such a sacrifice for them economically that it's simply not possible. So as technology continues to evolve and organizations compete harder and harder for talented individuals and the talent marketplace really becomes one that's global, organizations are forced to try new and innovative strategies to attract employees. And we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about that now. And really, this is the part of the episode that I was looking forward to the most. Particularly, I'm really interested in the kinds of things that organizations are doing with technology to try and recruit new candidates. Before we started recording, Nick and I talked about, well, do most applicants really look at things like a website as a primary way to get information about a company? And my guess and it's that it's probably not the first place you're going to encounter information about a company's brand or their image. I think as technology has changed and we've gotten access to things like social media, this is going to play a larger and larger role. And my favorite example of this was Arby's Twitter account. <laughs> So Arby's Twitter account is probably a weird place to talk about recruitment, but it's a really interesting one because over the last couple of years, Arby's Twitter account has shifted away from being a typical kind of corporate account where pictures are posted of their enticing menu, their meals, etc., to one where they started posting a very particular kind of image. And this tends to be some kind of craft made from the components in which they serve their food. So it'll be made from wrappers. It'll be made from the cardboard that the French fries are held in. And they are specifically the kinds of craft that reference something in popular media, usually video games. And somehow this has become probably the most successful social campaign that Arby's has done on social media in a very, very long time. They get lots of tweets, lots of followers, lots of likes for each of these posts. And part of why I wanted to bring this up is that I wasn't sure exactly what this was doing and why was this so valuable. And I was wondering if you had any opinions on that, Nick. I was actually gonna ask that question to you because they're clearly getting a lot of engagement and a lot of likes um, from a consumer standpoint, but I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of a job applicant. And full disclosure, I'm not a huge fan of Arby's food, but I don't know, if I see that kind of stuff on social media, I'm a huge video game enthusiast. I like anime as well. And they're posting this kind of stuff and, and it's really you know clever art designs that they're doing on Twitter. I'm not really sure if it's something that would make me want to work for that company though, because it doesn't tell me anything about what it would, like, what it would be like to work there as an employee. I think you're right completely about that. But I was thinking about this and I think what it does in terms of an, an attracting applicant sort of component is that it breaks down this barrier between Arby's as a big corporate entity who serves you fast food, but really is a faceless entity to one that seems to take itself a little less seriously than you might think. Most of these corporate accounts on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook post basically very generic things about their products and merchandise. On the other hand, Arby's here is going out of their way to provide you something that is a little 
lighthearted and maybe frivolous in regards to their product where their product mm-hmm. is in every image, but it's not the centerpiece. It's more about, hey, look at this fun thing we did. It suggests that the company is maybe a slightly less stuffy place to work. Oh, I see. Okay. So it, it's potentially signaling to future applicants that, you know, hey, this is a pretty fun environment to work. We don't take ourselves too seriously. We like to have fun. And that's really what it's all about at Arby's. Is that fair to say? I think so. I think that's a that's a good way to think about that. And shifting maybe to another uh, corporation that's doing something like this. We also were, before we started recording, we were looking at General Electric's Instagram. And I think that's another interesting place where you can see that companies are going out of their way to do something about their image on social media. I think the really cool thing about this is that companies are realizing obviously very quickly that you know not everyone's watching television anymore. People are on their smartphones, on their computers, and they're spending a lot of time on social media. And oftentimes they're actually following corporate accounts because they have a general interest in what that company does. And this is really an awesome opportunity for companies to put their best foot forward on like a, a daily basis to show people what the organization is doing right now um, in terms of innovation, in terms of just cool, fun stuff. It keeps that company, that, that company's brand in the minds of people going forward. And so when you have a talented individual who's looking at social media and is thinking about General Electric, is thinking about uh, a cardboard Meowth balloon from Arby's, they're going to think of those organizations when they're looking for a job and, they're, and they, and they want to say, hey, okay, where, where should I look first for this job? Yeah, and I think your point about it being an almost daily basis is really interesting because I'm, I'm looking through General Electric's pictures on Instagram here. And they basically post, it seems, on a scheduled basis of every two or three days. So there's a real concerted effort to make sure that you are going to get access to this kind of information as quickly and as on a, on a, and on a high frequency, basically. Um, I think that's a really interesting point. They're not going to get the chance to make sure you see an ad every day on TV, but they're probably going to get a good chance of being your timeline every day if they're posting every couple of days and you are following them. And I got to say, I am pretty swayed by how cool looking some of these pictures are on their Instagram. Yeah, they're definitely awesome. Um, Another aspect of this, actually, that we could touch on is the interactivity of social media. So, I mean, any post that an organization makes, you as the member of the general public actually have the opportunity to engage with them and make a comment or like what they're what they're working on and oftentimes there will be social media representatives who are hired specifically to engage the community and i think that offers an additional way of of influencing and attracting people to your organization absolutely so this seems to blend those two phases we talked about that initial attraction phase where you get this information about the company on a general basis more with a specific interaction phase yeah that's a really good point Something else that's interesting here is that General Electric, for example, has different links on their general Instagram page. That's, I didn't mean to sing general too many times there. <laughs> but for each of their kind of their divisions, they have an aviation page, they have a renewable energy page, they have a technologies page that all link from the general page. So they can even start funneling you towards specific parts of their company if you find an interest in one over the other. That's very interesting. So there's clearly a lot of a promise here in social media as you know, people continue to engage with organizations on a day-to-day basis and have the opportunity to learn about what they're doing almost live and keeping up with things. And importantly, it's very clear to us from the perspective of basically two researchers looking at these 
accounts on Instagram, on Twitter, to see them as ways that are very tailored and very controlled pipelines to potential applicants. These companies have gone out of their way, probably, like you said, to hire social media managers who know exactly how to manipulate these platforms to make the company look their best. But for the general public, it provides a slightly less uptight version of what is usually on a website or is on a brochure that you might get at, that you might get if you're trying to apply somewhere. It makes it feel a little more personal just because they have a regular account on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, just like everyone else does. So it breaks down this barrier between a faceless corporation and potential applicants. Yeah, and it's uh, it's image heavy and it's information light. So if you take a standard organizational webpage, you've got paragraphs and paragraphs of the stuff that your company's doing, their values, things like that. Whereas if you take an Instagram page, you can just see what they're doing. And you get a general impression of the organization based on imagery. And this saying has been you know beaten to death over the years, but a picture is really worth a thousand words. And you could form a very clear impression of the organization just from looking at their Instagram feed. Now, unfortunately, there is not a lot of hard research in the area of social media and recruitment. Uh, there's actually a 2016 paper that we found by Roth and colleagues that basically said, hey, this is something that we should be researching. So you could expect that we're going to be doing more scientific research in this area soon, but we just don't have that much evidence yet. So that's one cool thing that companies are doing, but let's switch gears and talk about different uh, strategies, like modern strategies. From from my experience, uh, recently applying for a job and, and getting flown out for onsite interviews and things like that, I've noticed that organizations, especially tech companies, I think, are really putting forth a concerted effort to improve the candidate experience. And so this is a reframing of the whole recruitment process in the sense that the organization is really trying to attract the candidate and treating the candidate like they're already an employee. For the lack of a better term, rolling at the red carpet and making sure they feel welcome, making sure they feel taken care of. And then in addition to that, and here's the technology comes in, collecting data points throughout every aspect of that process. So, you know, how long it takes a recruiter to respond to an email from the candidate, ensuring that you know, candidates are are satisfied with every aspect of the process by collecting survey data, um, by asking for feedback uh, in a more personal or kind of narrative way, and just really making sure that that is processed and collected and summarized so that the company can improve their recruitment pipeline and the candidate experience and figure out where any kind of areas of weakness are. And I think what's really valuable about that experience is that it suggests that, yes, the organization is interested in improving their processes, so they're more likely to get applicants who will ultimately take the jobs that are offered. But also indicates to me that they're interested in this candidate experience because even if you don't take a job at this organization, if you had a good experience through their recruitment process, maybe you'll become a goodwill ambassador for the organization anyway. Sure. No, that that is an awesome point because there are a couple cases of organizations where I made it to the very end of the recruiting process and it was between me and one other person and they chose the other person. And I do not have a bad thing to say about the organization, even though I didn't get the job. I had such a great experience. I felt so fairly treated from beginning to end that, you know, I came out of it saying, you know, I'm really, really happy that I interviewed with this company. And if anyone else asks, you know, should I apply to this company? 100% without reservation, I, I highly encourage you to do it. It's a great company to apply to as a candidate and probably a great company to work for as well. So we've really covered a few different strategies that organizations are using now to attract candidates. 
and potentially to retain them as employees. But one of the ways that is still pretty popular and has been around for a long time is the recruitment video. So this is not homework, but we've assembled a short list of recruitment videos uh, from different organizations that actually have quite a different variety of messages. We'd encourage you to check these videos out and then using what you've learned from today's episode, really try and dig into the videos and determine what are the values or characteristics of the work environment or the organization that they're really trying to communicate to you through these videos. What are you getting out of it? We'd be very interested to hear your thoughts about that. And Nick and I are actually going to have a conversation about these videos as well. And we'll record them and release them as part of one of our new series that we're working on. Short little bites of things that we find interesting to talk about. So if you get the chance to watch these videos, maybe you can actually compare what you found with what we think about them. It might be a fun little experiment to try. So that's all we have for you today. As always, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you feel so inclined, uh, send us a tweet at mindyourwork.io or check out our website at mindyourwork.io. And if you really like what you've heard, potentially leave us a review on something like iTunes. Uh, You can find us on uh, anywhere podcasts are hosted. I'm Jose. I'm Nicholas. And we'll see you soon. Yes, absolutely. But that's another episode, Nick. I know, bro. <laughs> it's okay. We got to keep content for the next 700,000 episodes that apparently we've had suggested we're going to make during these podcasts. I know. It's like, how do you... It's all connected, man. <laughs> <laughs>